This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Would you turn there? Isaiah, chapter 40, I bring you good news from the road. We've been traveling now. This is the last year of the end of our year, the last part of our 22nd year traveling in evangelism. And God's been so good to allow us to travel and to preach and to serve Him. And I sure am thankful that He's allowed me to travel as an evangelist. And I'm sure thankful for the family that he's given me, and I'm thankful for this place and for the friends that are here. Pastor mentioned before, uh, earlier, he said, I'm so glad you're my friend, and I want to say I'm so glad that, that I, I can be his friend, and what a blessing that he has been to me, and what a blessing that you all have been as well. Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're at. Let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word, shall we, Father? Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given us a copy, and Lord, that you've given us a great, with it, great responsibility. And I pray now, Lord, that we would come to your word with a tenderness and with a yieldedness, and our hearts would be fully given over to you. Lord, I pray for anyone here that is not saved, that you'd touch their heart, help them to understand the gospel this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, for anyone here that has trusted you, but their heart has grown cold and they've drifted, help them to come back to the fires of the Lord Jesus Christ and let him warm it again. I pray this. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill me with yourself and help me as I preach. May everything be clear and may your message be delivered right to everyone's heart. We'll thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In 1921, there was a missionary couple named David and Zvia Flood went with their two-year-old two son from Sweden to the heart of Africa. It was then called the Belgian Congo. They met up with another young Scandinavian couple, the Eriksons, and the four of them sought God for direction. In those days of much tenderness and devotion and sacrifice, they felt led of the Lord to go out from the main mission station and take the gospel to a remote area that did not have it. This, in those, in those days, was a huge step of faith. They were there at the village of Ndolera, where they were rebuffed by the chief, who would not let them enter his town for fear of alienating the local gods. So the two couples opted to go a half mile up the slope and build their own mud huts. They prayed for some kind of spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. The only contact with the villagers was a young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. Zvia Flood, a tiny woman of only four feet, eight inches tall, decided that if this was the only African she could talk to, she would try to lead the boy to Jesus. And in fact, she succeeded. But there were no other encouragements. Malaria struck one member of the little band after another. In time, the Ericsons decided they'd had enough suffering and they left to return to the central mission station. David and Zvia Flood remained there in in that little area near Ndolera to go on alone. Then, suddenly Zvia found herself pregnant in the middle of the primitive wilderness. When the time came for her to give birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to come and help her. A little girl was born whom they named Aina. 
The delivery, however, was exhausting. And Zvia Flood, who was already weak because of malaria, was someone who gave in, succumbed to the physical trouble. The birth process was a heavy blow to her stamina, and she lasted 17 days before she died. Inside David Flood, something snapped at that moment. He dug a crude grave, buried his 27-year-old wife, and took his children back down the mountain to the mission station. Giving his newborn daughter to the Ericsons, he snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined everything. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. Within eight months, both the Ericsons were stricken with a mysterious malady, and they died within days of each other. The baby was then turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her Swedish name to Aggie and eventually brought her back to the United States at age three. Now, I don't know your experience and what you've gone through in recent months or even years, but sometimes in our lives, it appears as though God goes silent. Things aren't working out the way they once did. Blessings, though they are many, sometimes seem to run short. Answers to prayer seem to be fewer than they once were. God speaking to us through His Word seems to be less than it once was. And the mundane during times like that, just grinds along. And God goes silent. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject, when God is silent. When God is silent, or seems to be. When God is silent, or seems to be. Some of you right now might be in the throes of great blessing. You're flourishing. You've just come off a holiday remembering the good blessings of God in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. But for you, I want to say, there'll be times in your life when difficulty strikes and life just grinds on. And as the world song says, we're going to have to muddle through somehow. Some of you today may be right in the middle of a silent period. You know God is real. You've already been through that. You've trusted him as your savior. And if you haven't, you ought to today. But it just seems as though his silence is deafening. You'd like the, the answers to prayer to be a little bit more abundant. You'd like the Lord to speak to you through his word a little more than he, he is. You'd like the blessings to flourish, but it seems as though God is silent. I want to preach to you on that subject this morning, and I want us to be reminded of a few facts when God is silent. When God is silent, first of all, I want you to notice there may be judgment. There may be judgment. Now, your Bibles are open in Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah, God pronounced judgment upon his people. In fact, in the first five chapters of this great book, he pronounced judgment. 
He pronounced judgment in Isaiah chapter 1. He said, the whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the, from the head to the feet, there's wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. And he, can out, he announces judgment upon a people that had turned away from God and were always bent on turning away from God. In Isaiah chapter 40, he is about to, to give them encouragement and, and comfort because he is He's doing something. Notice verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Saith your God, speak ye comfortably in Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Now, I want to come back to this passage, but this was an announcement of who, who would come as the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist's message was a message of judgment against sin. In fact, God is always postured judging sin. We should never, never misunderstand that. God is not for sin. He is against sin, and he always has been because he's holy. He's been against sin from the first time that, that Lucifer launched his attack in a vicious way against Almighty God. He's been against sin since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. He's been against sin since Cain lifted his murderous weapon against his brother. He's been against sin since the sin ran rampant in Genesis chapter 6 and he destroyed the whole world. God's been against sin since the men of the world decided they were going to live life independently of God and build a tower to him without him. And God has been against sin all throughout the Old Testament. That's why you have the bloody line through the sacrificial system. That's why you have God sending his own son Jesus to die on the cross. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, he's against your sin and he's going to judge it someday in a place called hell. You better trust in him as your savior. You better take the sacrifice that Jesus gave for you on the cross. You better receive the Lord who died, the Lord of glory who died and was buried and rose again. You better trust him as your savior today. Before you, before you die, because if you don't, you will have to bear the punishment and the judgment of God against sin. You say, preacher, why, why do you say God may be judging sin when he's silent? Well, keep your finger here in Isaiah 40, because we're going to come back. I want you to turn to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi, just before the intertestamental period. In Malachi, you, you see, the attitude of the people is rank. In Malachi, you find just 400 years before Jesus came and 400 years before Jesus walked on this earth, you find though the people had been restored in Nehemiah's day and though they'd been restored to, to blessing and God had blessed them abundantly. And I, in Malachi, you find the people's attitude towards the Lord worthy of judgment. You say how so? Look at Malachi chapter 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Now, is there anything wrong with that message? I mean, wouldn't that be a good Sunday morning message? Wouldn't that be a good message for a revival preacher just to take and tuck under his arm and preach under a gospel tent as he pleads with people to come to Jesus? I have loved you, saith the Lord. But look at their attitude, verse number two. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, 
And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. And he comes on and describing Edom, Esau's descendants. What an attitude. The preacher says, this is a burden from my heart, a burden from God's message to you. I have loved you. And the attitude of the people is, wherein have you loved us? But you know, that's the attitude of the people of Israel all the way through Malachi. Look at verse number six. A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Verse seven, he offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? You see, every time God gives a statement, it's as though whenever God writes down the word yes, the people cross it out and write the word no. Now, I want to say, whenever my attitude is snarky and cocky and always has to come with a retort and always has to come with some criticism and always has to come with some counter towards those that love me and care for me and those that are in authority over me, something is wrong with me, not with them. Now, I want to say that. Young person, whenever your parents try to say something to you, try to teach you something, try to take you down a certain way, don't come back with a hard neck and with a stiff shoulder and with a squinty-eyed kind of sarcasm towards your parents. They love you. Don't act toward them like Israel acted towards God in Malachi. In verse number 12, you have profaned it in that you say the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit thereof even his meat is contemptible. Ye said also. You see, what you find over and over in Malachi is, thus saith the Lord, this is what you've done. And the people say, well, where have we done this? When have we done this? How have we done this? Verse number, verse number three, notice of chapter two. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it, and ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Look at what the Bible says in verse number, uh, verse number 12. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And if this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping and with crying out insomuch that you, he regardeth not the offering anymore, receiveth it with a good will at your hand. Yet ye say, wherefore or why? You look at verse 17. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? All throughout it. Verse number 13 of chapter 3. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? Let me say something. When God's trying to get your attention, let him get your attention. Give him your attention. The fact is that God came to them between Malachi and Matthew with silence. He'd fought with his people all throughout the period of the judges, throughout the period of the kings to some degree, throughout the period of the prophets, and now... He found resistance, resistance, resistance. And you know, one form of judgment is God just lets us have our way. He speaks and we retort. He cries out and sends his messenger and we disregard it. And so God says, all right, that's what you want. You can have it. And he goes to a period of silence. And honestly, Pastor Hooks, I can think of few things more terrifying than God's silence because of judgment. Now, God's silence is not always because of judgment. 
but sometimes it is, and there is absolutely everything right about you and I when we are in a period of questioning God, why does it seem like your silence silent to me? It's there's everything right about us saying, God, is there something in my life that has precipitated judgment? My mom and dad are 86 years old, and one of the things I'm internally grateful for about my mom or dad is that to this day, they are still always seeking the Lord. God, why is this pain? God, why is this trouble? God, why is this trial happening? Is there something you're trying to teach me? Now, sometimes I'd kind of like to take my dad and say, Dad, you're old. (laughs) You know, you're 86, so maybe the pain has something to do with that. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, Dad, but, but maybe, just maybe. But you know, I'm eternally grateful to the fact, for the fact that my dad is always still seeking the Lord. God, is there something that you're trying to teach me? Is there something you're trying to show me? Is there some way you're trying to direct me and I'm not listening? You see, that was not the attitude of the people in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, he brings judgment. In Malachi chapter 4, he says to them plainly, he says, uh, ye have robbed me. It will a man rob God? Ye, ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? You see, the attitude of a person that's always questioning their authorities, look here, we're not against questioning. We believe there's a place and a time for questions and they're appropriate so that you can learn and grow. But there is also a place and time when questions are inappropriate. And that's when God is trying to get your attention and you ask questions with a snarky, critical uh, attitude that says, God, I'm right and you're wrong. And sometimes questions are asked that way. Who do you think you are, God, telling us what to do? Wherein have we robbed thee? Wherein have we polluted the sacrifice? Wherein have you loved us? God, you're not right, and we're wrong. We're right, and you're wrong. And so God says, okay, go ahead and be right. Go ahead and have your way. Go ahead and figure it out on your own. Go ahead and see how that works out for you. And for 400 years, think of it, four hundred years. That makes America look young. Four hundred years. We're barely touching the 250 mark as a country, but for 400 years, there were no prophets pronouncing God's way and God's word that were openly written down. There was no blessing. Pastor and I were talking before church and We're talking about how it's been quite some time since America has experienced a massive national revival and refreshing and awakening, and that ought to trouble us. But can you imagine 400 years of it? You said, preacher, weren't there any preachers during that time? Of course. Were, Were there no Christians or believers during that time? Yes, there were. Was there no one worshiping God? Undoubtedly, there were people worshiping God. But it was 400 years of silence. And I want to remind you that between uh, Judges and that period and 1 Samuel, right when God was at the end of the Judges, there was no open vision in the land. Hannah was still serving God, and doubtless there were others. Samuel was born in that time. But when God spoke to Samuel, he didn't know it was God because there was no open vision in the land. It wasn't a normal thing that God was speaking through and to his prophets. It was an an exception, not a rule. And that ought to concern us. When God is silent, sometimes it is due to judgment. But I want to say this. When God is silent, not only... May it be judgment, but it may be concealment. He's concealing his plan. 
He's concealing his work. Again, Isaiah was about 200 years or so before Malachi, but when he comes along and gives comfort ye, comfort ye my people, it was because the people needed comfort. They didn't know what God was doing. And sometimes when God is silent, it's not because he's judging you in particular. He's just concealing his plan for a while until he reveals it. And God is a God that does this. Many times you will find mystery mentioned in the Bible here and there. And God was concealing his word. He was preparing his servants. He was working his plan. And I think it's very important for us to understand when God is silent, that he is still good. That when God is silent, he is still in control. That when God is silent, it may not be necessarily God being silent. It may be us dull of hearing or us lacking in understanding. God is still all wise. God is still all knowing. And watch this. When you're in a dark time and when you're in a dark place and when doubt seems to be swirling around you, you don't, you don't uncover God's will by trusting in doubt. You uncover God's will by trusting in truth. In other words, you don't reveal what you don't know by what you don't know. You trust in what you know when you don't know. You trust in what is sure, what is nailed down, what is absolute. You trust in God's word in what you've already uh, uh, accepted. Someone said, don't doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you in the light. And so here, God is silent during this time. He's concealing his word. He's concealing his work. He's not revealing. Was God still alive during Malachi to Matthew? Of course. Was God still working? No doubt. Did God still have his servants? He's always had his 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And we need to understand that and trust in that and believe in that. In the period of time between the first great awakening and the second great awakening, when some of the first great awakening began to fizzle out and evil began to be well and abounding in our our country was God no longer at work no he was working sometimes people weren't responding but God was still working and God was moving and God was dealing with people and God was preparing just like he is here in the intertestamental period between Matthew Malachi and Matthew so number one there may be judgment number two there is concealment number three I want you to notice that there is an instrument and back to Isaiah chapter 40 would you Now remember, God prophesied Isaiah chapter 40 long before it happened, about about six to seven hundred years before it happened. Look at what he says, verse number three. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. See it this morning. I want you to notice that when God is silent, there may be judgment. There is concealment. Number three, God's preparing his instrument. This prophecy was given by Isaiah 700 years before God's instrument was on the scene. Let me say, nothing takes God by surprise. 
God's not sitting up in heaven like you and I are down here on this earth. <gasps> Did you see that? Worried about some news flash that's coming across the ribbon on Fox News. God's not worried about any of that. He's not surprised by any of that. He's not troubled. Obviously, he has a response. He's not neutral towards the choices or the non-choices of men. But God, God is prepared. He is prepared long before there was ever a planet in place. God was prepared for the wicked choices of men and had worked his redemptive plan. Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world had ever been laid. The Bible says here in Isaiah 40 that he had prepared for a prophet to come. So you know what that gives us? Hope. You should never in any circumstance and under any situation lose hope. And the Bible word for hope is not the way we would use it in our modern day. We say, well, I hope the Cowboys win next time. <laughs> you know, well, maybe. Well, anyway, it's a nice pie-in-the-sky pie kind of dream. Anyway, I, I hope that my team wins the World Series. I, I hope that it's a beautiful day and that the sun will shine again in North Carolina. I hope, I hope. It's kind of wishful thinking. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. That is not the way the word hope is used in the Bible. The word hope in the Bible is a word of faith. It is a word of expectation. And it's actually used that way, like a woman expecting a baby. When we talk about the blessed hope, that's the blessed hope when Jesus appears in the clouds and catches his saints up. We're looking forward to that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is an expectation. It's going to happen. I mean, as sure as I know my name, as sure as my birthday is today, as sure as I'm standing on this platform, as sure as this is a pulpit, as sure as this is a glass of water, Jesus is coming again. It's expectation. It's surety. It's certainty. It's absolute. It's not maybe it'll happen. Maybe it could. It couldn't. No, 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 no. That's the way the world uses the word hope. This is absolute. And that's the way we should be. Absolutely filled with hope. You know why? Because 700 years before John the Baptist walked on this planet and nearly 300 years or so before, before Malachi pronounced judgment and the silent years began, God said, I I'm preparing. I've got this thing completely under control. God is a God of preparation. God is a God who knows far in advance, and he's working in your life, and he's preparing an instrument, and that instrument may be you. You see, watch, you, you become God's instrument when you trust Christ as your Savior, and as you yield to him day by day fully, and the more fully you yield to him, the more prepared you become for his work and for his will for your life to be revealed and for you to know that it is perfect and good and acceptable. So preacher, what if I don't do that? Well, God can use you as an instrument that way. He's not sitting second fiddle playing second fiddle to the wicked. He, he's not. He uses the wrath of man to praise him. And God will use the wickedness of the wicked against them. So if you think you're playing games with God and you're going to win, you're never going to bring a checkmate against God. He wins. 
He's preparing an instrument. He's working right now in this place. He's working to prepare servants that will go all over Hickory during this Christmas holiday and preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus and win souls to Christ and get people even in this Christmas holiday with all the hustle and bustle and the distraction of this world to get people saved and baptized and discipled so that we can repeat the process again. God wants to use you as an instrument. He may want to use you in another way as a full-time Christian servant, as a preacher, as an evangelist, as a missionary as a pastor, and we ought to be mindful of that as a church body, that God has put this church on this spot so that it could send out missionaries and ministers and instruments for God's glory, send them out into this dark world as lights in the darkness. That's God's will. God's preparing an instrument. Turn to Matthew chapter 3, would you? Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40. Now, Jesus has already been born in Matthew chapter 1. And, and Jesus has grown in Matthew chapter 2. He's, he's been visited by the wise men. He's around two years old. He flees down with his family, his family, father and mother, take him down to Egypt. Comes back to Nazareth. In John chapter 3... In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That's an exact wording of, of Isaiah chapter 40. Why? Because John the Baptist is the fulfillment of it. So I want you to know that when God is silent, there may be judgment, there surely is concealment. He's preparing an instrument so that he can make an announcement. And here is the announcement in Matthew chapter 3. This is he which was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make the low places high. And make the low places high and the high places low. Make the crooked paths straight. And make the rough places plain. Why? This is making ready for the king. That's what they always did before the king came. By the way, that's what they do now when the king comes. The president comes into town. Secret Service comes in long before the Secret Service get there. They make sure that the roads are right and everything's clear and everything's secure and no problem. We just had down in Tryon, was it last year or this past year or the year before? We had the big international horse gala. gala. Just amazing, just amazing. And right there in Tryon, North Carolina, you've got... <clears throat> You've got just little tiny Tryon, North Carolina, just east of Tryon. You've got Podunkville, North Carolina. And what do they do? Whatever permits had been stalled by bureaucracy got passed. And they widen the road and they make the exit real nice and they put fences up. And we're bringing people in from all over. Why? Because somebody important is coming. Well, that's what John the Baptist was to do. He was saying, hey, if you're proud and high, you become low. If you're low and discouraged, you can be encouraged. If you're crooked and wicked, you can become straight. If there's rough places in your life, you need to get them out because Jesus is coming. 
And in John chapter 1, as John the Baptist was preaching, Jesus interrupted his message. You know, I like it when Jesus interrupts my message. I like it when that happens. Right in the middle of his message, he says, excuse me, I'm into my introduction and well into my first point, but I've got to stop right here. Ma'am, if you could just step off to your left. And sir, if you could just move off to your right and way back there, sir, if you just turn around a little bit and hey, everybody, look, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus was John the Baptist's announcement. And he needs to be our announcement. And John the Baptist preached with a fervency and an urgency and says, now is the time to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe now is the time for us to give our all to Jesus. Now is the time for us to trust him as our savior. Now is the time to sell out to him. Now is the time to give him all because it's not going to be long and he's going to be coming. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. You see, God is at work. When God, it seems to be silent, when God seems to be silent, you can rest in this fact. He's at work. He's good. He loves you. He's in control. He's been working, whether you see it or not, whether you understand it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you hear it or not, God is working and he's drawing and he's moving, trying to get folks to come to himself. With this little family that had been broken apart by Choices and trouble. Aggie, now three, moved back to the United States with her new family. They loved the little girl and they were afraid that if they tried to return to Africa, some legal obstacle might separate her from them. So they decided to stay in their home country and switched from missionary work to pastoral ministry. That's how Aggie grew up in a little town of South Dakota. As a young woman, she... She grew up in this pastor's home and she attended a Bible college in Minneapolis and there she met and married a young man named Dewey Hurst. Dewey Hurst would go off and enjoy a fruitful ministry and Aggie would give birth to her first daughter, then a son. In time, her husband became a president of a Christian college in the Seattle area. She was intrigued to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. And one day, unbeknownst to her, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox she had no idea who had sent it. Of course, she couldn't read the words, but as she turned the pages, all of a sudden, a photo stopped her cold in her tracks. There in a primitive setting was a grave with a white cross, and on it were the words, Via Flood. She jumped into her car and went straight to a college faculty member who she knew could translate the article. What does this say? She asked. The instructor summarized the story. Well, it was about missionaries who had come to Ndolera long before uh, this and the birth of a white baby and the death of a, of a young mother, the one little African boy who had been led to Christ and how after the families had all left, that little boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a, a school here in the town and, and the, he won all his students to Christ. The children led all their parents to Christ the chief became a Christian, and today in that town there were 600 believers. All because of the sacrifice of that missionary family. So when it seems God is silent, he's, he's working. He wants us to stay on our duty station, not give up. Eventually, Aggie would go back to Sweden. She would have a chance to see her dad. Her dad had dissipated his life with alcohol. The family told her, they said, whatever you do, don't mention the name of God. And as she began to talk to him, she said, Mama didn't go to 
to Africa and die in vain? She said, Daddy, God's been good to us. When she said that, he stiffened. He said, God is the reason that my life is like this. She persisted on, and the end of the day, he had come back to God. Not long after, he would go on to glory. A few years later, she was able to go to Africa. And as she did, the streets were lined with believers that had come to Christ because of the small little family that went to that field, sowed their seed, seemingly in vain, And God went silent. I've just come today to encourage you that if it seems as God, though God has gone silent, He's not. He loves you just the same. He's working. His plan is true. His word, His promises are yea and amen. You can take every one of them to the bank. And He wants you to stay at it. He wants you to love Him just the same. He wants you to announce just like John the Baptist that Jesus is the Lamb of God. So that if you stay at it, you'll reap a harvest. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.